Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. They were only on screens for eight hours today. It's fine. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. You turned your back and the baby rolled off the changing table. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. We have to eat the cupcakes in this order (laughs) so the Giants win the Super Bowl. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. Dad guilt is not a thing. Like, dad guilt isn't something that has a name. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking about mom guilt. Mom Getting rid of it. If that's possible. It's hard to believe we haven't talked about this already in the hundreds of episodes we've done, but we have, I mean, it's certainly been a through line. Yeah. As we say in the biz, but not a specific episode. Yeah. I'm um, in the throes of some mom guilt right now. I'm a little bit overbooked right now. Uh-huh. And I am truly going a couple of days a week where I don't see my kids from sunup to sundown. I more have wife guilt. I mean, I think that my kids are fine, but I definitely feel that my husband is um, operating on 25 different cylinders, and I feel a little bit guilty about this. It's kind of like household guilt. Yeah, I'm just kind of not pulling, I'm not pulling my weight around the homestead these days, but it's a season. I feel, my sister always says, when people say things about themselves, you should believe the opposite. So I'm always wary to make I statements, but I'm going to (laughs) lean in early. I don't think I have a tremendous amount of mom guilt. I don't think this affects me that strongly. Well, that's interesting because it's sort of like broadly understood to be an absolutely inescapable part of motherhood. So we can talk about why that is, if that is. But it doesn't surprise me that you're like, eh, not so much. I mean, that's sort of your, you know, entry point to it. Yeah, I definitely don't. I just think I need a little bit more mom guilt. I'm like, they're fine. They were only on screens for eight hours today. It's fine. I mean, I have stuff that tugs at me, but I definitely don't feel a tremendous my kids are like you're leaving again tonight and I'm like yeah I got a job I got somewhere to be goodbye (laughs) like I definitely don't feel that thing of like I have had girlfriends when we went away or had whatever my bachelorette back in the day whatever it was friends who were like oh it was so hard leaving my kids and my best friend would always be like I just don't understand when people talk about that like I do not and now that I have kids of my own I'm from that school like people who are like Oh, I had to go away from my kids for two days. I have a friend in town who is wired totally that way. And she was saying to me, wait until the eighth grade trip. It's going to be so hard. And I 
said, like, it's a lot of paperwork to get ready for. Like, what does it mean that the eighth grade trip is so hard? <laughs> Special packing needs. Right. Like, it's, I don't get what's hard about it. Like, you have to lift them onto the bus. I don't understand. Like, where would the hardness come in? <laughs> Snack preparation. And she was saying, oh, it's just you watch that bus pull away and it's so... It tugs at the heart. I'm like that. I do not have that lane in my brain. Whatever the like turned off. Yeah, I'm a dead inside, Amy. But maybe, man, it makes it's got some downsides, but it makes for some very easy saying goodbye to my kids. <laughs> I think mom guilt. As I did the research for this episode, I realized that when people are talking about mom guilt, it's one of those things like everybody knows what it is when you say it, but it also kind of means whatever people want it to mean. So I, I would argue as we begin our conversation that when people are talking about mom guilt, they're talking about two very different sort of things. And we should kind of talk about each, but I thought it was important. So the first one is the ongoing low-grade inadequacy concerns, like my soccer sideline snacks don't look like their soccer sideline snacks. That's mom guilt. Yes. Universal, low-grade, you know, part of the job description or not, maybe, but like, oh, well, like stop feeling that way all the time. I'm not doing and a good job as a mom. I'm not doing a good job as a mom. I should be doing more. I should be doing different. I should be doing it like her. I should be doing it like this momfluencer, whatever. So that's the first kind. And I think that's worth looking at because I think it grinds our gears. I think it like gets in the way. I think it, you know, it's weighs us down in ways that it shouldn't and needn't. But then there's this whole other thing as I started doing the research about like, say, like, you turn your back and the baby rolled off the changing table as, you know, has happened to me. Happened to you. Happened to me. Oh, smack their head so hard on the way down on the end table. Right. Or like the bed or, you know, whatever. Right. That feeling when like something or like a child gets burned, the guilt that you feel when you can't get over that something happened to your kid, even though they're fine. I'm making a cringe face. Or you told them to stop complaining about their stomach ache for two days and it turned out to be their appendix. Yes. <laughs> so you do with mom guilt. <laughs> I, I mean, I found it. Yeah. It happens. He, the kid didn't die. He survived. But at the time you were like, oh my God, you, you know, like, I mean, I remember we we talked about it like, oh my. Yeah. I was like, mom fell. I am the worst. How did I miss this? And like, literally everybody would miss that. It's, it's fine. Right? Yeah. Sidebar on that. I do want to say my son, who's a teenager... He's volunteering at a grade school right now. And he came home and told me that a kid had his appendix burst. I said, at school? And he said, no, later. And he came back to school and said the reason his appendix burst was that he ate too many Takis, at which point I burst out laughing. You know what Takis are? They're like a super... Oh, spicy chips, for sure. We love a Taki. They sponsor yeah. this podcast. No, they, they don't. They're not a sponsor. Come on aboard, Taki. We love you. We love a spicy chip. I burst out laughing and he was like... Mom, it's not funny. His appendix burst. I'm like, his appendix burst because he ate too much of a snack food? He's like, it's a thing. And I was like, that's definitely... No, it's not a thing. If it made your appendix burst, I think it wouldn't be on the market. But then, of course, I had to go look it up on the internet. No, it gives you a stomach ache if you eat too many extremely spicy things. But your appendix is fine. It wasn't the Taki's fault. Well, now... What could have happened is that he thought he had a stomachache because of the Takis, so he ignored it, and therefore his appendix burst because he under he was blaming the Takis for the pain that was actually caused by the appendix. Right. So the Takis were involved. Right. But blaming the Takis will not make your appendix better. But now we've lost our Takis uh, sponsorship. <laughs> right. Well, no, I'm defending them, but that's not why. We're team Taki people. But even like, oh, I don't know, a kid who's, I mean, taking the more serious mom guilt, like the kid who's 
born with a developmental delay and you're like, oh, my God, I had that glass of wine, you know, before I knew I was pregnant. I'm a bad mother. I think that sort of mom guilt that people carry around with them. My baby's two weeks old. and I'm not loving every moment of this because maybe I'm a little bit depressed. Mom guilt. Yeah, like those are sort of big and more problematic for the person suffering from it, for the mother, I mean, and all and more important, I guess. But they're both called mom guilt. And that's sort of, a, I think that's an overly broad definition, therefore. So the two categories are, I'm not doing it well enough in comparison to other moms and something bad happened to my kid and I feel bad about it. Or my kids are just generally not doing what everyone else is doing. Yeah. Right. Like little things, mom guilt and big things, mom guilt. Let's put it that way. Right. And they're both things that we like, are they avoidable? Probably not. Should we try to like push back on it and reframe them? I think, yes. I think the answer is yes. For sure. All right. So let's start with low grade mom guilt. That's maybe easier. So I'm quoting psychologist Lisa Marie Emerson here, who said women are especially good at taking credit for everything that's wrong in their kids' lives. Sort of like, bump, like, stop doing that, women. Yeah. But I do think this is a circle that we don't always see both sides of. So when I was working at my first job, I worked with a guy named Vinny. And Vinny was full of good aphorisms. And he was like a hilarious. He was not that much older than me. Had him on the show. But he was like, <laughs> like, here's the thing, kid. And he was like always telling me about. But one of the pieces of advice that he gave me that has stuck with me, and I think of it all the time, is at some point, I was working as a paralegal. And some lawyer was like, you did a great job making those copies. And I came back like all like shiny gold star. Like, ah, he said I did a great job. And Vinny was like, listen. If you take their praise, you have to take their criticism. So don't take either. And I was like, I think we don't always see the part where basking in the praise has a flip side. And I do think that like feeling this feeling of my kid doing the solo in the play and the accolades I get for that. Reflects on me. Right, right. That I am basking in that warmth, but then I'm opening myself up to the cold of like, my kid got an F on the test. It must be my fault. I think that we are a little bit over involved generally with our relationship with our kids. I find that to be true. All right. I have a different thought on this. I have total pushback on this idea because I, I really, I've been thinking about this a lot recently. The idea of about like, Women take credit for everything that's wrong in their kids' lives. So stop doing that, like kooky women. Just stop being like that all the time. It's like, why do you think that we feel the pressure to make everything right? Because when something goes wrong, who is looked to to blame when the kid doesn't have their cleats, when the kid is late every day, when the kid is, you know, not speaking in two word sentences by 24 months or whatever, right? It's like society looks at us and we feel bad when we're assumed that we've done something wrong to make this something wrong in this kid's lives. But we're not imagining that. Like that's very much the way society is constructed. Agree. We're not imagining it at all. But I would argue that there's two sides of it. And I think both are harmful. I just was reading a book that I enjoyed that I won't mention because I'm going to criticize the author. But it was this portrait of a life and this 
unbelievable closeness with her children, like this unbelievable admiration of like the way my children's minds work is just a magical world and kind of like my kids are my best friends and that they have this relationship that is so close that I look at that and I just think, my parents did not have that relationship with their children at all. My parents were great parents, I think, but they were not, we weren't besties, you know? I mean, that just, there was no element of that. Mm -hmm. And I think that it helped them divorce a little bit from the idea of like, also when we did something good, certainly they were happy, but I don't think it was as presentational, the whole thing of like, me and my little bestie are doing reading. She, look at this poem she wrote. She's such a genius. I don't know. It seems like there's too much buy-in on both sides of the scale. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I guess it does. Like I'm thinking on Dance Moms when like, I don't know, Savannah gets the solo, right? And Savannah's mom's on the bleachers, like flipping her hair because <laughs> it's really her that got the solo. You're saying if you buy in too much to every little thing your kid does or says has, reflects on you positively, then that's too negatively. And I don't mean this, listen, this is also societal, but I do think there's a little, like, I feel like my mom dropped me at the front door of gymnastics and then picked me up later. And I'd be like, I landed on the beam and it would be like, okay, great. Now we're having hot dogs for dinner after we pick up your brother. Like, I do think that we are in a parenting thing where like the expectations of how close we're going to be with our kids and how magical our relationship with our kids is going to be has a very dark flip side. And I think it comes now I'm going to go rogue. I think it comes from like anti-feminism, like women going back to work and like this whole portrait of like moms are not just there to like feed the kids, get them out the door and then get on with their day. Moms are there to be like the sun and the moon. And like, we're supposed to be sitting around having long conversations. Like, I don't want that relationship with my children. And I think that some of the ways that I am a little bit freer than some people I know from some of the guilt is that I'm also not like, oh my God, my kid is my best friend. Let me read you their poem because their mind is such a beautiful space. I mean, it goes without saying, I suppose, right? Just to back up what you're saying about this being tied up with feminism, that there's like dad guilt is not a thing. Like dad guilt isn't something that has a name that's presumed to be a completely unavoidable and everyday part of their experience that they're constantly like, but am I really there? And am I doing enough? And did their bento box lunch look like Julia's bento box lunch or whatever. It's, it's not a part of your spouse who's taking on like the lion's share of the household stuff right now during this season to support this thing in your career for this moment. I hope he's not like his head isn't hitting the pillow at night and he'd be like, oh, they didn't finish their green beans. Like, I don't think that's and it shouldn't. Oh, my God. Literally never. And we are also I mean, I am. And I mean, I just had a thing where, you know, it was the scout swim test and make sure they have their bathing suit and their goggles up front. No problem. I've got it. No problem. Of course, I'm the mom driving down the street. Like, I forgot the goggles, forgot the stuff. I'll run home. I'm late. I'm going to make everyone else late. Like, I'm kind of the nightmare mom right now, but I do feel very free from the like, I'm like, yeah, it's a season. I'm having a bad season. All right. Well, let's take a break. When we come back, I want to move on to the part that can get a little more serious, like the mom guilt when things get a little more difficult 
and why that is even more uh, obstructive. We'll be right back. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Okay, so there was a study of parents of adolescents who were going through mental health struggles, which welcome to the club. There's a lot of those people in today's society and the reasons that they felt blame the parents and the reasons were that they were bad parents, that they hadn't seen it or caught it sooner or done more, that they had somehow passed on bad genes and made this happen or that they had created this like family environment from the beginning that had made these things happen. And not for nothing, this is not coming from, again, this is not just like, oh, if only you could be relaxed and be cool. Like this is coming from like autism was considered the result of refrigerator moms, which was like cold and unloving moms cause children with autism, right? Like uh, neglectful moms cause kids to be drug addicts. Like there, this is not just something. Permissive moms cause kids to be impulsive, right? And yeah. And this is definitely something that, I mean, you hear and see all the time when something happens. You know, I live in a kind of a small town. Something happens in town. Oh, well, there, you know, they must not be getting something at home because they did this thing. It's like kids also do stupid things. All kids do stupid things. Right. Right. And the idea that, I mean, particularly in the case of 
of a kid who's struggling with mental illness that it's because you're a bad parent or like you didn't have family dinner enough times. And we can stand outside that and be like, that's not why. <laughs> that's not why, right? Like depression is, is, is chemical. But when you're the one whose kid's going through it, most parents report feeling self-blame on one or all of those categories. Like it must have been something I did or didn't do that's making my kids struggle. For sure. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Even kids who are, I mean, there's a lot of magical thinking that goes on around kids. And I was just looking at something that was a book that gets sent home from kids with a hospital. We talked to somebody about this, that like part of like having a sibling in the hospital is they send home like literature and books that are tell the other kids in the family, like you didn't do anything to cause this, even like a brain tumor or something, you know? It was our guest who was on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood who was a fresh take guest of ours. I'll put the link in the show notes. But talking about this idea that like she would work with puppets, she would bring puppets into children's hospitals. And I just saw it referenced somewhere else that like a sibling would think, well, my sibling has a brain tumor because I yelled at her last week. And and I think that that kind of thinking seems kind of comical, but it we just have such a tendency to see the world as a place that we create and that we have a role in everything that happens. And that's just fundamentally pretty misguided. It's actually not the way the world works. I think you were so dead on saying this. So Dana Dorfman, who is another guest we've had on this show, she wrote about mom guilt. I'll put the link in the show notes for the article. But she said that mom guilt is magical thinking. And similarly, she says mom guilt is a result of magical thinking in your primitive brain. And she said we become like a child who feels responsible for his parents' divorce. So same kind of thing. And the reason why, she says, is because your brain thinks that if you can be at fault, i.e. in charge of what's going wrong for your kids, then you're in control. Then you can also be in control of making it right. You can fix it. You know, the migraine headaches, the, you know, seizures, things that are not in your control. Well, if I can just figure out what I did wrong, then I'll be able to fix that and then it'll go away. It totally makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and it's funny because while I talk about being not having a ton of mom guilt, I do have a ton of OCD behaviors. And I mean, I laugh at like, oh, mom guilt, let it go. But I am a person who like is like, we have to eat the cupcakes in this order so the Giants win the Super Bowl. And I'm convinced that like I right. won the Super Like, why didn't they send me a trophy to my house when I only ate the cupcakes with the opposing team's logos on them while we were like, there's a way to do it. And um, I think that's right. This illusion of control that in fact, what's difficult. And I think that's also a reason why when we see other people's kids, oh, I saw those kids drinking in the park. Well, the mom isn't doing it. It's illusion of control, right? That like, I have good kids because I control my kids. They have bad kids because they don't control their kids. Therefore, I will never have bad kids because I am in control. And then you do have bad kids and that's where the mom guilt comes in. Yeah. And I still think that like this is another thing that buying into the judgment, I think the gossiping about other people's kids and the really over buy-in, especially in a small town, the over buy-in to like, let's all pick apart what other people are doing is really dangerous behavior because it ratchets up the pressure of this illusion of control. Mm. Right. You know what I mean? When I was young and doing comedy, a lot of my time was spent 
goofing on other people, like just walking through the world and being like, did you see that way that person was walking? Look at that hairdo. Like that just in a group of like funny people that I was in, what we would call like dining out on other people was my major pastime. Just basically being like, oh my God, Amy, did you hear her? It's like I spent so much of my time just feasting on the bones of others. And I found that my self-esteem and my self-confidence was very, very low. And I made the connection that like, because I spent all my time thinking and about other people and picking them apart, I see a world in which that's how people behave. And I always assume that wherever I go, people are doing that to me. Spoiler alert, they're not. This comes to the greatest advice I've ever gotten, which I've said many times. My ex-boyfriend said to me at some point, 10 years into this operational system of me, like being the comic who always could see what everyone else was doing wrong and constantly being like, did you see how she was looking at me? She was thinking this, she was thinking that. And my ex-boyfriend said to me, I could picture the room we were standing in because it was that big of revelation. Your life would change so much if you could realize how rarely anyone else ever thought about you. And it really was like, oh my God, I'm living this whole life where I'm just looking at everyone to pick them apart and assuming that everyone is doing the same. And it's a very fraught way to live. I think if you can let go a little bit of the picking on other people, it frees your mind to be like, right. it doesn't matter what other people think of me either. Although you were just saying you live in a small town, people do like talk about other people. Like you're not totally imagining that that's happening. Totally not imagining it, but I do think distancing yourself from it a little bit, like it only works if you care. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to say you don't care. Like obviously if people, if I know people are laughing about me and talking badly about me, it bothers me and I don't like it. And people do talk badly about me, I'm sure. But if I'm not participating in either side of it, I feel a lot less pressure. If I'm not in the mix. If I'm not at cocktail parties being like, did you see their house? Oh my God, the shingles are falling. Like if I'm not participating in the side that I'm feeding myself with it, I am much less prone to worrying about what other people are saying about me. That makes sense. I think I've really freed myself from this to some degree. Well, let's talk about some of the other problems that can result from mom guilt because there are some, I mean, besides like who wants to live this way, right? Like that's, and that's enough reason to change it, but there are other ones too, right? So there was a study that looked at moms who were dealing with a couple of different things that they were feeling guilty about a kid's brain injury. Like, okay, that may or may not, maybe the kid fell off a trampoline and maybe they had a brain tumor. Like it has nothing to do with the parent directly. Or maybe you drop them. Like that's the thing, right? Like maybe the thing that all of us have done 20 times turned out terribly for you. Right. Right. And can you imagine being that parent? And the third example was that and it was adolescence mental illness. And the third one was like, oh, yeah, this one, nursing difficulties. The guilt that mothers feel and I would argue are made to feel for not being able to breastfeed effectively or enough or the kid isn't thriving or the kid's refusing or, you know, all that stuff and how overwhelming it is for a new mother. There's so much guilt around that, that Mothers in each of those situations who were feeling extreme guilt around those situations were not, it was hampering their ability to parent effectively. Because of course it was. Gosh, it reminds me of the serenity prayer. Like, what is, I, grant me the wisdom to like change the things I can. It's grant me the, Lord, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change 
the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. It's so much of what we're talking about is foundationally that. It's the misperception of what you can and can't control. And I think that this is something that I had terrible OCD and anxiety as a person in my 20s and thought a lot about control and not control. And then I didn't have kids until I was 37. And I definitely remember talking to moms in my birthing class about their birth plan and like, oh, but my birth plan is this and I'm going to that. And I'm like, why are you making a birth plan? Like, isn't a birth like 90% things you have no control over, you know? And then talking to people afterwards, the birth plan didn't go as planned. And I have this disappointment around it. And, and just thinking like, I understand where the anxiety comes from, but I do think that the wisdom to know the difference between things we can and cannot control is central to what we're talking about. Do you think so? I do. I have a, actually have a whole like essay in my book about my birth plan and how it just, it got in the way that there was any moment when I was holding my new baby, when of course my first birth went nothing like our birth plan, that I was holding my baby and had even that 1% of like, oh, I got the epidural, I caved. That, that was such a preposterous thing to put on myself in that moment. And I wish that I hadn't done it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that's right. It's like uh, my friend's mom has the expression, don't borrow trouble. And it's like we borrow so much trouble with that stuff, which is like, even in a small, funny way of like, we were talking about vacations, right? The vacation is going to look exactly like this. And uh, my sister's planning a trip with one of my kids. And we keep talking about like, you can plan for lots of stuff, but your expectation has to be that only 10% of that stuff is going to actually happen because you're traveling <laughs> with a 12-year-old, you know? And so it's trying to find, trying to identify the things that you have control over and figure that out. I have another thought about that. Let's come back after this break. Okay. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now, Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how 
all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks. And now, things moms say in spring. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. We need to clean up the playroom. We need to clean out the garage. Oh, we need to clean up the yard. Clean out your rooms. Anything that's still on the floor in one hour is going in a donate bag. Have they canceled your soccer tournament yet? It really looks like it's going to rain. They still haven't canceled? Check your email again. Are they really going to play this tournament when it's 48 degrees and raining? They are really going to play this tournament. I should have brought an extra sweater and a book and a thermos. And I should never have let my kids sign up for soccer. Get off screens, you guys. It's finally gorgeous out. Go outside and play. What are you doing inside already? Who tracked all this mud onto my rug? How did you get so muddy you were outside for like three minutes? I thought I liked spring. I must have been thinking of a different season. We don't need to take some expensive trip for spring break. We're just going to stay home and enjoy the time with the kids. Remind me next year when I say that we don't need a spring break plan. That is a huge mistake. Turns out we are not a just enjoy time with the kids kind of a family. This has been Things Moms Say in the Spring. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. I think that what I'm coming to is it's like I always say, my mom always says like, you can only deal with behavior. You know, you can't deal with like, you're this type of a person. Like it's like a young person's argument to be like, Amy, you're just the wrong kind of person and I'm going to help you fix yourself. It's like, Amy, I... I'm going to leave if you're more than 10 minutes late, whatever. Like you can only address, which by the way, total reverse problem there. But you know what I mean? Like you can only deal with behavior. I think with mom guilt, it's like you can only deal with what's real somehow. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Like, yes, you can't borrow. You got to stop trying to borrow the guilt of like, I want my out of control situation to be completely under control. It's what Carla Nomberg said is the second arrow of suffering. Remember that when we had her on the show? I mean, yes, say that again, because that's so good. I mean, she didn't invent that. It's a good Buddhist idea, but it's the second arrow of suffering that when, oh, I don't know, like your kid's science project was the worst and he cried because everybody else's was better than his. There's that, that that happened. And then on top of it, you're taking the arrow and like jabbing yourself with it in the side again. Like, and also you're a bad mother. Like it's right. You're bringing it on yourself and giving yourself two things to be upset about when, the, when you put the mom guilt on top of the thing that you or your kid might be struggling with. So you shouldn't do that. So you should stop with the second arrow. I think that's right. And I think it's also, it can be a useful thing to model. Like we are preparing for a test right now at our house and it's not going great. And I will say I am stunned by how hard this test is. And I look at it and it's a test meant for eighth graders and I know nothing on it. Like I can't figure it out. I mean, I would get a 20 on this test, maybe out of a hundred. And we have gotten to a point in doing tutoring and lots of things to try to prepare for this test that it may not go great, you know? And that 
I am sort of shifting my focus to like, we need to go all in and get a good grade on this test to we've done the best we can at a certain point, And this test is going to be what it's going to be, you know, because you can't <laughs> judge a fish by its ability to ride a bicycle. And you can't judge me and one of my children by our ability to get a good grade on this test because yeah. This is just apparently not how our minds work, you know, and I am a functional old lady who does not know any of the things on this test. And I think that recognizing what we do and don't have control over and then saying to ourselves, I'm going to do the best I can, but I may not be a bento box mom. I'm going to do the best I can. It's separating out on the way in, right? Like this is... Okay, like if my kid fails this math test, I'm making this up, and they have to do some extra math stuff this summer, that might be like a logistical hassle and something I'll need to give some additional support around, but that will happen or it won't happen. But the like, oh, idiot, why are you such a bad mother? Why did you not study math more when you were a kid? Whatever, you're going to beat yourself up about. Like, that's the optional part, right? And I understand why you're feeling that way. But you need to kind of notice it on the way in. Be more mindful about like, here's what's happening. And here's the thing I'm laying on top of what's happening. Yeah. And I also think we've talked a lot about like the triangle or the parent compass or the like mom's list of needs, like figuring out what value is the most important. And I think that in looking at this test, we came into it with the value that is most important is getting good grades, right? And like, that now, two months into preparing for the test, we're realizing that like our true value is like doing our best and then realizing the context of the thing that maybe is not as important. It's like if you fail because you didn't try, that's very different than if you fail because you tried really, really hard and it didn't work out. And I think giving voice to those kind of things for your kids and for yourself is, okay, so we are now in a three-week period where I am so busy at work that like I'm not making a single meal. Dad doesn't love to cook. You're going to have pizza maybe three nights a week. <laughs> One of my kids just said, like, we're having pizza again? I was like, yes, because... Uh, you found the outer edge? I was going to say kids would always want pizza for dinner, but there's some point where he's like, hmm, maybe that kid will learn Yeah, maybe, but I think that it's like, does it pull at me a little bit? Like, ugh. I have kids who aren't even getting fed a meal at night, but what I'm doing is a passion of mine and I want to do it. And it's more important than my kids not having pizza three nights. Like I'm, I think that maybe what I'm coming to in this conversation is that the more you can have clarity of mind about what's going on, the best defense you have against mom guilt. Yeah. And again, like I can stand outside this, like, you're not saying like, I'm never going to cook for you guys again. And you're out in the backyard, like smoking a cigarette, like Betty Draper, right? Like this is like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying it's never happened, but okay. A couple of weeks, right? And then it's going to go back to the way things were. And your kids will be so proud of you for this achievement that you do. I mean, I also think it's worthwhile. And sometimes we're too hard on ourselves as mothers and we forget the part where our kids need to see us achieve things and be proud of us, whether it's running a marathon or starting a business or, you know, just being good at things besides showing up at drop off with the thing they forgot. You know what I mean? It's important for our kids 
too, but we're still like in a very dated way. I think every, well, I'm quoting Laura Bazelon here. She wrote a book called Ambitious Like a Mother and talks in the book about how ambition still feels like it's sort of antithetical to good mothering and that we kind of need to get past feeling like we're doing something wrong when we're preoccupied by something other than our kids' gymnastics lessons. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. And the idea of what a good parent is that sometimes it's like we're chasing the wrong. We're like pounding on the good parent door and trying to get in. And like two doors down is an open door that's like, all right, parent, but really happy parent, you know, who's doing well and is not stressed out. And yeah, I think sometimes we're chasing like a phantom, a cipher, as you say, like we're so busy trying to be perfect that we're not like being good, you know? Mm -hmm. And a lot of that stuff is completely phony. I mean, most of the like, oh my God, are you the most self-actualized mom in the world who has the happiest kids who do all the activities and have all the great Pinterest lunches and handmade cakes? And I don't know. I don't think that's interesting. Well, that's, I mean, if you haven't listened to our Sarah Peterson interview, she wrote Momfluencers. I just interviewed her a week or two ago. And it was like a thunderbolt to me during the show, like, oh, their lives aren't like that either. This is a job for which they work very hard to get that pie crust sitting on the windowsill in the exact dappled sunlight like that woman and good for her. She's a content creator who's getting paid, but she spent like six hours making that pie crust look like that. Like the rest, her kids don't eat that every night. Like, like nobody's like that. Not even those people. And I hadn't really thought about that before, that they're working yeah, really hard. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that it really is that thing of like, is my value being perceived as perfect or is my value having like a calm and happy home somehow, that there's a disconnect between those two things. And I think that for... And I'm not somebody, I mean, I definitely right now have a home of total chaos that is driving me crazy because I have not been keeping up with stuff because I've been so busy. And I cannot live in mess. Like I, when I walk into the kitchen and the sink is full of dishes, it grosses me out on a fundamental level. And so it's not just like, let it go. Don't be so uptight because we all have lines and I have my own lines where I'm like, okay, I don't actually want to live like this. It's too gross for me. I don't like the feeling of a messy house, but it's not presentational, I guess. It's got to be kind of like what you want your life to look like. And I mean, maybe this is hokey, but I think it's true when you feel the mom guilt, it's because you... It renders you feeling really isolated because like, I can't say this out loud because nobody else has ever done this thing, ever felt this way, ever been such a horrible person that let their baby fall off the changing table and the pediatrician says they're fine, but you're still thinking about it six weeks later and nobody's ever done that before, right? Literally both of us and, you know, 10,000 people listening to this episode, right? It's being that part of the mom guilt is we keep it to ourselves when if we had just sort of said it out loud, this misgiving that we had any of our friends our spouses, our parents, whatever, could probably help us dispel those. Like you realize that's not anything you did. But when we kind of keep it for ourselves, we can lose perspective. I always remember this mom from my preschool. She's a friend of mine now, but I didn't know her at the time. And her little three-year-old was like, mom, we're late. We were, I was of course late and she was late. And I was like, okay, this is a mom I need to befriend. But my kids, you know, going to class and her son said, well, mom, they started, you know, whatever, flag saluting or whatever the heck they do first thing in preschool. And I can't, can't believe I missed it because we're late again. And she just turned to her son. She's from Alabama. And she's like, well, honey, 
you were born into the wrong family if you wanted to be one of those untimed kids. And I just thought, like, what a good perspective. <laughs> like, this can't be fixed. And not like, oh, I'm so sorry. This is terrible. It's like, well, listen, this is the way it is. We're a late family. Sorry. I, you should have been born into one of the on-time families if you wanted to be here for Flag Day. I would argue that she can't live in that, like, complete, like, Oh, well, I let it roll off my back 100% of the time. But she did for that moment. No, I'm sure she doesn't. I'm sure she doesn't. But I think she does for a lot. She has a self-acceptance around like, we're not the... Now, also, I've been to her house. She has beautiful parties with Canada. I mean, she's got a beautiful hostess. stuff. She's not just totally laid back. But I think the more we can say like, well, we're not the best. We're not the worst. We're somewhere in the middle. And this is how we roll. It's just, it makes it easier for all of us. We solved it. Solved it. (laughs) Have you joined our mailing list? Go to our website, whatfreshellpodcast.com. There's a link there. I'll also put a link in the show notes for this episode. You can sign up for our mailing list. You get our newsletter once a month, which just has, it has some of our favorite episodes, some of the best sponsor codes and deals from the ads this month, things we're reading and watching and listening to. You'll also get occasionally recipes, what Amy and I are reading, little behind-the-scenes fun facts. There's a lot in the newsletter. And listen, it only comes once a month, so it's not there to bother you. So sign up. Sign up. And with that, we'll talk to you next week. Talk to you next time. Bye. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.